Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance continues in Genesis chapter 50 as we ask the question, now that his father Jacob has passed away, will Joseph take revenge on his brothers or offer them forgiveness? Genesis 50. Joseph, we've been saying, is in many ways a type of Christ and by the dreams that God had given him and by the direction that he had given the Pharaoh and by his leadership in those seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, Joseph really, in many ways, saved the world. And the world was saved ultimately so that the Israelite family could be saved so that the Messiah could come, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't just love Israel, he loved the world, he loved you and he loved me. And Joseph is a type of Jesus. And when the father Jacob dies here, the, the Egyptians are mourning. Now you could ask the question, was it real mourning or were they putting on a show? I don't know for sure. But I do know this, the mourning for the Israelites was real. And when they mourned, they would weep loudly. They would lament. They would tear their clothing. They would often put ashes on their head and they would sit in, with sackcloth and ashes. It was a very serious time. They took this time uh, you know, really to heart. And it's okay for us to mourn when we lose somebody. You know, sometimes as Christians, I think we feel like we have to move on so quickly. And, you know, those who are uh, directors of mortuaries are saying that, you know, people are moving in and out so quickly that sometimes they don't even have a chance to process and mourn, and it's okay to mourn. Now, we don't mourn, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Our hope is in the resurrection, our hope is in the truth of heaven. But I want you to see that the Jews were not afraid to mourn the loss. And the process of mourning is needed it's something that you have to go through. And so it doesn't, it's not just a matter of a day and you're supposed to get over it. And sometimes well-meaning people will say to you with not very good timing, you know, you need to move on or whatever. Look, there's gonna be a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to weep. There's a time to enjoy life. There's, there comes a time when you die. There's a time to build and a time to tear down. There's a time for everything under the sun, Ecclesiastes chapter three. Uh, There's an appropriate time for everything and we need to learn that there's an appropriate time to mourn. Joseph was not afraid to mourn. Now we're gonna watch that there's gonna be a time to move on as well. But as I said, it looks like this total time encapsulated at least 70 days of mourning. And so that's a couple of months. And it doesn't mean just because you've mourned that it's over, right? You, could just, you just forget about it. No, you're not gonna forget about it. But you're gonna need to live again. And it's not always just mourning the death of somebody. Sometimes it's mourning a broken relationship. Sometimes it's mourning a job loss. Sometimes you just have to allow yourself some space and some grace. It's okay. God understands. Sometimes we're quick as people, we mean well, we throw out a Bible verse or we do this or that and we mean well, but you know what? We're not in that person's sandals. And so we give as much grace as we can and just say, you know what? I'm praying for you. And sometimes just a quiet presence is the best thing that we can do. And so this place was named by the people of the land, probably the morning of Egypt and so Uh, the procession parked there for a while, and thus his sons, verse 12, did for him 
as he had charged them. He did not want to be buried in Egypt. And his sons carried him to the land of Canaan. So they would have now had to cross the Jordan River. By the way, um, if you get a chance to go to Israel, the Jordan River is not terribly impressive. It almost looks like a little stream at some places. But, but when it's at flood stage, it's, it can be very difficult to cross. And so I'm not sure the route that they took for, uh, for certain, but they carried him, his remains, across to the land of Canaan. They entered into the promised land, which is a great picture of faith. And they buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. And so here's the cave where the family members were buried. By faith, Abraham purchased the cave. He was buried here. Sarah was buried in the cave. Isaac was buried here. Rebekah was buried here. Jacob's wife, Leah, was buried here. And now Jacob would join their remains in this place. Uh, they have discovered over the years, uh, as they do excavation projects and even building projects in Israel, many burial sites that they find, and they're often caves or family tombs where they put ossuaries. And an ossuary is just a little bone box, and what the Jews do is they take great care to care for the bones. And so they will move the bones into an ossuary. A bone box is just about yay big. And they'll often find multiple ossuaries in a site where they will uh, you know, have uh, family members all in this one place. And after he buried his father, verse 14, chapter 50, Joseph returned to Egypt. Notice the word after. There's always an after. I've walked many families through uh, the mourning process and uh, you know, going through trying to make arrangements and you know, there's, there's all these, this stuff that comes out of family. And then they hold a service and they, they have a chance to reflect and honor that person and remember and share stories and, and cry and laugh a little bit. And then there's an after. And the after is the reality of trying to move on and now live life without that person. And that is not an easy process, but there's always an after. And it seems like a, there's a lot of attention that we pay at the kind of the beginning, but the after is often where the best ministry needs to occur. And we're not always good at that, right? But we need to pay attention to people who have gone through something and give them the care that they need even after. Make sure that they know we're praying for them, etc. And so after he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. There was a time to go back to Egypt and the time had come. When someone dies, we often experience shock, fear, and even numbness. C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called A Grief Observed, lost his wife and he wrote these words, the great uh, apologist for the Christian faith, once an atheist became a strong believer he lost his wife and he wrote this on the first page of his journal that he kept for months following her death. He wrote, there's a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It is so uninteresting. Yet I want others to be about me. I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to one another and not to me. 
The numbness is like that of a wound healing, James Boyce adds to the words of C.S. Lewis. Uh, Just recently, uh, I got a telephone call and a young man, 19 years old, was killed on the track at Wheaton College in Illinois. And it was a very heart-wrenching thing. What I understand of the story is he was helping out on the track. He was a 19-year-old son of missionaries. He had spent his early childhood in Africa. He had a deep desire to be a pastor. He was helping out on the track and they were doing a hammer throw and the hammer got away from one of the contestants and it, he took a blow on the track and, and uh, died at the hospital. But he was, for all intents and purposes, he was dead there on the track at 19. And it was a very devastating blow to the people at the college and, and you know, folks that were there. Maybe they didn't even see what happened directly, but they experienced the shock of someone dying in that way. And if you've ever experienced that, you know a little bit of what they're talking about. You know, maybe a car accident happens or something happens, and all of a sudden you, you have shock and you have to deal with it, and it's not easy. And so there's a time after the shock and fear and even numbness, there's gonna be a time of what writers who deal with grief call adjustment and adaptation. There's a time of a fresh focus. There's a time to be enriched in the presence and promises of God. There's a time to cross back over the Jordan and start again. That time is not always easily discernible, by the way. And it's gonna be different for everybody to get a fresh focus and start to focus on life again and move ahead and count your blessings and rest in the promises of God for that loss that you've gone through. And so that's, that's the story. That's the first half of this story. Dad has been put in the cave. He's been buried. And they've taken the route of the Exodus. They've, they've returned back to Egypt. And for those brothers, to my knowledge, as they peered on the promised land, uh, they would never see that land again in their lifetime. So everything was being done by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, verse 15, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? Now the brothers had kind of an epiphany moment. They said, okay, dad's dead. We've we've gotten through the funeral. We've done the mourning thing. And now they kind of thought, you know what, I wonder if this last 17 years if Joseph has just been nice to us for the sake of dad. And you know, you get different takes on this and some some say, you know, how could they even think this? You know, what could have come into their mind? Joseph was nothing but gracious to them. He He had even told them, look, I believe that everything that happened, I ended up here because of God. I was sold here because of God. God was the one. He tried to ease their fear and even lighten their conscience, but for some reason they didn't believe it, and maybe that's because they never really went through a formal process of ownership and asking Joseph for forgiveness. There was a lot of tears and maybe even unspoken things, but not a real true record of I'm so sorry for what I did to you and an extension of forgiveness. I think Joseph had forgiven them, but they were wondering, is he still bearing a grudge? as he completely buried the hatchet. We all struggle with grudges, don't we? You know, the old saying is people say they buried the hatchet, they're gonna forget about what you did to them, but they leave the handle sticking out just in case they need the hatchet again, right? 
And we can say that we've forgiven people and people can think that we've forgiven them, but as time goes by, sometimes we're not always sure if that's true. And once dad was dead, maybe they, they thought, well, he's only being nice to us for the sake of dad, and now he's truly gonna get his revenge. And so this is what's stirring up amongst the brothers. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Living Truth Radio, and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I wanna tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. When Joseph had told them in chapter 45 about, you know, not to be grieved, he said, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be grieved because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. He sent me here to keep you alive for this great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. But for, for them, maybe those were nice words, but have you ever had words spoken to you, but you're not quite sure that you can let them totally sink in? Like, I know what this person just said to me, but mm, I just don't know. And so they're wondering now, what's going to happen? So they sent a message to Joseph, and it came by email. This is what the Hebrew says. No, just kidding. It wasn't an email. And they said, your father charged before he died and said these words. Thus you shall say to Joseph. This is what dad said. Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression, transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. They said, hey, by the way, just in case you didn't know this, dad left a message for you after this happens, after he died. He wanted you to know to please forgive us of everything we did, the wrong we did to you, okay? Okay. <laughs> now, we don't know if Jacob ever came up with something like that. We don't know. There's no record that Jacob ever said that. And if he would have said it, why didn't he just say it directly to Joseph? There was nothing in his behavior that would have caused fear in the brothers. He did nothing but take care of them. Yet at the same time, we know that Jacob had a brother who bore a grudge against him, and his name was Esau. And when Esau realized that he had stolen the blessing, he bore a grudge, and he said, when dad dies, I'm gonna get my revenge on my brother. And that went on for what, some 20 years? And so it is possible Jacob, thinking about his own brother and that relationship, might have said something, but we're not quite sure. But this is the message that comes to Joseph. And Joseph, when he hears it, look, I want you to see the, there's some good ownership taken. Verse 17, and this is how we need to apologize to people. Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin. There's no darting around it. They don't say, Forgive us, we have issues, you know, we had dysfunction in the household. No, they call it transgression, they call it sin. They said, we did you wrong, 
And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. There's some appeal to familial relationships. And Joseph's response was he wept. Why do you think he wept after he heard that? I mean, this is conjecture, but do you think he wept because he thought to himself, haven't I proven to you guys that many years ago I had forgiven you? Do you still think I'm holding a grudge? Maybe that's what he felt. Maybe he wept because finally he heard a true um, ownership from his brothers. Maybe finally he said, these guys have finally called it what it is, sin, that they've, they wronged me. They kind of danced around it. They didn't take full ownership. And it is refreshing when someone finally says to you, you know, I did you wrong. I'm so sorry for what I did to you. And when that happens, there's an opportunity for healing and even an opportunity for tears. Had the brothers forgiven themselves? You know, maybe because they didn't go through the process of owning it and asking for forgiveness, their conscience still bothered them over these last 17 years. Had they not forgiven themselves for what they had done? There's all kinds of layers here, but here's the best way to deal with stuff. Own it, bring it into the light, ask for forgiveness, and move on. Right? If we don't do that, if we sweep things under the carpet, then they end up coming up at some point in a pile of dust. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Now, he had some pretty good opportunity here when they came and knelt down. He could have said, yeah, just stay there for 21 days. 21 days sounds good. Just grovel fast. I'm going I'm to give it to you now. This, this man was probably the most powerful man in the world. These last 17 years, he could have done whatever he wanted to these men. In some ways, he was more powerful than the Pharaoh, and he had not done anything to them, and he wasn't going to do anything now. Here's what Joseph says to them. He says, don't be afraid. Many times in the Gospels, Jesus said that to his apostles. Don't be afraid. Notice, am I in God's place? Joseph, who was this great world leader, said, don't be afraid, bros. I'm not God. I'm not going to be, you know, determining your fate here or meeting out punishment. I am not in God's place. I am not God. We might want to just revisit that every now and then. Because even though theologically we believe it, sometimes we want to play God in people's lives. In fact, I think sometimes we believe if we could just be God for a day, we could straighten out a lot of messes in this world. A lot of people who wear clothing that doesn't match and stuff like that. Just kidding. But we, we think, hey, you know what? If I could just do this or let me tell you, here's what you should do. And we start to play God and some of our relationships pay the price. We need to let God be God. And sometimes we get ourselves in trouble when we want to ride in on the white horse and rescue everybody. That's called enabling. And we, we ride in for the rescue and we try to play God and sometimes we've talked in the office several times that maybe we get in God's way by trying to rescue someone when they need to hit rock bottom or they need to hear from the Lord. It's not always easy to discern these things, is it? But Joseph said, I'm not God and I'm not gonna play God 
Don't be afraid. I'm not in God's place. Don't be afraid. We need to treat each other with patience and humility and compassion and kindness. This is how God treats us, right? He says, as for you, this is chapter 50, verse 20, and I've suggested to you as we've moved through the book of Genesis and we're coming to a close, that this may be the theme verse of the book of Genesis. As for you, Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, everything that's happened, in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people alive. Genesis 50, verse 20, New Living Translation, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many, many people. Joseph had experienced the jealousy, the hatred, the betrayal of his brothers, the cruelty and lies of a leading woman of Egypt, the forgetfulness of a man who said, I'll remember you, I'll tell the Pharaoh about you, who failed to live up to his words. All of it was evil. All of it was wrong. All of it shouldn't have been done. And we have a saying in our culture, it's all good. And I know what we're saying when we're saying it. It's all good, bro. But I have news for you. It's not all good. Some things are just downright evil. But God is so majestic in his attributes that he can take the evil that people intend and use it exploit it for his good purposes. When someone commits an evil and God turns it together for good, it doesn't mean that they're not culpable for their evil. In, in, the, in the Bible, when you're looking at these things in terms of just understanding your worldview, here's what happens. Culpability remains. Judas Iscariot was culpable for his betrayal of Jesus, even though it was prophesied in the Bible. He was culpable. The predetermined plan of God was the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, yet Pilate was culpable. The religious leadership, Jesus said, those who turn me over to you have the greater sin. They had sinned against Almighty God. They were culpable, yet God is so majestic in his ways that he can exploit even the evil intentions of men for the glory of God and for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28 is the New Testament version of Genesis 50, verse 20, and it says, God causes how many? How many? All things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together for good. Not all things are good, but God works them together for good. The Greek word in Romans 8.28 for working together is synergeo, where we get the English word synergism or synergistic. It was a buzzword in corporate America for different departments and so forth, working together for a common goal. What God does is he weaves together a tapestry from all the junk and the mire. He's so majestic in his ways that he can work it together for good. Years ago, there was an elderly minister who God gave a marvelous ability to minister to the sick and distressed of his church. He had an old bookmark and he carried it with him in his Bible. 
It was made of silk threads woven into a motto. The back of it, where the ends of the threads uh, were knotted and tied, was a hopeless tangle and mangled mess. When he visited a home in which there was some great trouble, sudden sickness, sorrow, or death, where believers were puzzled by what God was doing in their lives, he would often show them the bookmark, first presenting the side with a tangle of threads. After the befuddled parishioner examined it in vain, the pastor would turn it over. On the front side, standing out in colored threads against the white background, was the motto, God is love. So it is in this life. We live through events that seem to be tangled and meaningless, but they appear that way only because we cannot see a pattern. When we see life from God's side, his message of love and providence shines through. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. He works all things together for good. Not some, but all. You had mentioned to me, we were talking in my office, and you said Joseph was the right man for this call. Why, why would you say that? He was in a, a willing vessel is what we call it. He was obedient, and he had this charge from God, will you trust me? And even though he was in a foreign land, he was brought up in the knowledge of his God, the God of his fathers. And even though he was in another culture, another country, another land, like you've already mentioned, he still trusted in his God. And it doesn't say that he was influenced by all these other pantheon of Egyptian gods. And so he yeah. stayed true, just like we hear in another character named Daniel. Yes. So can I suggest that Joseph loved God? Yes. Romans 8.28, to those who love God. Joseph loved God. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure he had his, his moments where he was asking questions about, you know, God, what's going on here? I don't get it. But but we really don't have a record of Joseph uh, turning his back on God or, you know, doing a pity party or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure he had ample opportunities. Yeah, and he may have, but the, the scripture doesn't say it. But, it. but it does reflect I think well with Romans 8, 20 and Genesis 50, verse 20 in this, Oscar, Joseph loved God. Joseph was called according to God's purpose. He was the man that God called and God weaved a tapestry for good, but not without pain, not without false accusations, not without sorrow, not without betrayal, not without loss, not without tears. And yet God worked it together for good. And so that's, that's what I would say is the backdrop. I would say that's a good, at least example of you know, does it mean when I stub my toe? I don't know. You know, does it mean when I hit my finger with a hammer? I, I don't know. Probably not. But I think what it means is the big things of our life and even the little things, the, the, the forks in the road, the, the unexplicable things, the why did this happen? I don't get it. What are you doing, God? Uh, it's those things that I think he's weaving together for good. And I think you hit it right on the head. It's for those who love God and those who trust in him and our reaction to whatever comes our way, where do we lean upon our own understandings or upon his ways and his path before us? Now, after Peter messed up, you remember Jesus has him by the campfire there, the morning breakfast, and three times he says to Peter, do you love me? Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.